Folks, we have such a great episode today. The, the focus of the episode today is on unmasking your feelings. And it's about a social marketing effort being conducted by uh, the Broward Behavioral Health Coalition. And we're going to hear about that today. We're going to hear about some of the people involved with it. And as we always do, we're going to talk about all things mental health, especially all things mental health in this COVID reality that we are living in and are probably going to be living with for just a bit longer. But today, we've got three guests, all who are involved with the Broward Behavioral Health Coalition. I've got Tiffany Lawrence. Tiffany is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Florida who's been working in the behavioral health field for seven years, and she's the project director for Broward County's One Community Partnership, Three System of Care, SAMHSA grant. We also have Krista Snyder. Krista is a certified recovery specialist at the South Florida Wellness Network and identifies as a person in recovery. She's been providing direct services for the last four years, utilizing the TIP model in the community. And Krista hopes to share her experience as a young person serving young people and her perspectives on youth culture. She currently attends Palm Beach State College, majoring in social work. And enjoys fine cuisine and CrossFit in her spare time. CrossFit. Oi, oi, oi. My son does CrossFit. And rounding out the discussion today is Latrice Richards, who is the System of Care Clinical Integration Coordinator for the One Community Partnership 3 program at Broward Behavioral Health Coalition. And I got to say, before we get going, many thanks to the Broward Behavioral Health Coalition for sponsoring this episode of The Optimistic Advocate Tell you a little bit about Broward Behavioral Health Coalition. 2011, State of Florida's Department of Children and Families designated the Broward Behavioral Health Coalition as Broward's local managing entity. And BBHC, as they're fondly known, is responsible for contracting, monitoring, clinical quality oversight, performance improvement of the DCF state-funded behavioral health services. BBHC provides a comprehensive system of care for substance abuse, mental health, and co-occurring disorders for individuals in Broward County. Now, as a nonprofit organization, BBHC also manages local and national grants to develop evidence-based practices and practice improvement for providers and persons served. And again, one community partnership, which is a part of BBHC, is a SAMHSA system of care grant contracted through Broward County government to BBHC. And this podcast is brought to you through those grant dollars. Once you finish listening to this episode of The Optimistic Advocate, go to the show notes and click on the BBHC link, and you can learn more about the amazing work this organization does in Broward County, Florida. So there you go. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to our three amazing guests. And as I said, the focus of the conversation today is on a campaign that OCP3 started called Unmask Your Feelings. We're going to hear about that campaign. And it's especially poignant in a time when we're all wearing masks. So I started the interview off by asking the question of the three guests. I said, what's the most important thing you want our listeners to remember about you after this podcast is over? I thought I'd just start them off with a nice, juicy question. Anyway, the first person you're going to hear is Tiffany Lawrence. Let's hear what she had to say. What's the most important thing you want me to remember about you after this episode is over? I think for me, 
this podcast, I would want people to remember that right now we're going through a challenging time with COVID, but that doesn't mean that we cannot support each other. So the main, the most important thing for me would be to continue to build a community of support, even when we're at a time where we need to be socially distant. Beautiful. And the next person who chimed in on this question was Latrice Richards. Here's what she had to say. Yeah, I I agree. I think that just making sure that everyone understands that even though it seems really dark right now, and it is really dark right now, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just that the tunnel is a little longer than we anticipated, but that there it, it is going to come to an end at some point in time. And that if you're struggling to get through it, that there is help available and that reaching out is really the best thing that you can do for yourself. How about you, Krista? So I'm a peer specialist, and that means I have lived experience with mental health and substance abuse. So I definitely have come face to face with some of my mental health challenges during COVID. And I think what's most important is that it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to reach out for help. Because for people with mental health and pretty much everybody, this is a challenging time. And like Latrice said, it's been much longer than any of us anticipated. I know we're going to talk about the Unmask Your Feelings campaign and and what you're doing with that. And when I saw that, my first reaction was, oh my God, how on point is this? And I'll tell you why from my perspective. I was at the store, the grocery store this morning, okay, and everybody's got their masks on. We have become a nation of masks. I used to do work up in Alaska, in the interior of Alaska, and it was just an incredible blessing. And so got to work with Yupik families from 50 different villages. And anyway, there's a small museum up there, and you possibly have been in museums where you've seen masks that represent uh, different cultures. And these were Yupik masks. And... I don't know how to explain this to you or describe this. I don't even know if I know how to describe it to myself, but this it's not a fancy museum. It's a small house, practically, but they have a lot of artifacts. And the trainings we would do up there were always led by elders, Yupik elders. And if you know anything about the history of, of the Yupik people, massive oppression, massive just slaughter and the most horrific things you can think of. And yet you look at these masks and they almost vibrate. There, there is like a power to them. And I don't know that I, I still can't articulate it well, but there's like a presence. There's not just a story. There is feeling, there is sentiment, there is history, there is longing, there is come up with all the adjectives you want to, but you go away, or at least I went away, changed a little bit, couldn't articulate it, but it was like there, there was a presence. All right, fast forward. I'm in Harris Teeter this morning. Everybody's got a mask on. And I'm thinking about this conversation. And I'm thinking, okay, suddenly we're a nation of masks, but I don't get any feeling behind my N95 mask, which is why I'm fascinated in this time of COVID that you guys are doing something around the concept of unmasking your feelings. But what hit me was, because the other thing that's happened with COVID, we're all working in the mental health space, is that I think for the better, it's ripped this Band-Aid off. 
Maybe it's ripped a mask off on the atrocities within the mental health service delivery system for non-white people. I guess it can't be any more blunt than that because it's a system that's built on the white perspective, the, the white history, et cetera. And if you don't fit that, hey, it's potluck. Sometimes you might get something that works and sometimes you might not. So I am really fascinated to hear how the three of you are part of this effort to help people maybe find a more authentic voice. Talk to me about why this social marketing campaign, why unmasking your feelings? What's that all about? So with our system of care grants, we're working on a SAMHSA system of care grant, and this is our third one in Broward County. I've always been fascinated with how masks connect with mental health, how people have tied superheroes to mental health. And so this time around, I said, I think it's very important for us to now focus on how this mask that we all are wearing can hide our emotions and our feelings. And so I said, this is the perfect time to execute what was in my head, but I just didn't have time to do it. And so now I'm being pushed to say, let's do something about it. And so you're spot on. When I thought about this campaign, I thought about how important it was for us to talk about how masks can make us feel. Basically how we're wearing these masks and behind it are our feelings and we don't typically show our feelings sometimes but how it's even harder to read a person's feelings or to display a person's feelings because we are wearing these masks. So that's how it came about. And I pulled in Latrice and of course, Krista and a couple of others. And I said, I want us to relay a message of hope behind these masks. Sometimes we can feel alone. Some people don't even want to wear them. Some mental health conditions are exasperated by putting on these masks. I've seen people who struggle to breathe behind their masks. They got anxiety behind their mask. So I wanted to say, you have this mask on, but we understand what you're feeling. You're not alone. And just to give out a message of hope. And we put together a work group. We said, let's come up with these cool messages or messages of hope that we can have. And let's come up with a name. So we started a work group. We focused it um, towards youth and young adults. We brought in some juvenile probation officers. They were extremely excited some child advocates who worked in the um, child welfare system, and then some of the staff that we hired on the project. And we had great turnout during the workshop. It was virtual. We were a little nervous about that and great conversation. And so that was how the entire project campaign came about. Did you have trouble selling it to your colleagues, selling the idea of this is something we should do? Not at all. Usually my colleagues are very excited, just like I am. So when I said, I spoke to Latrice first and I said, Latrice, I have this idea of having messages of hope behind masks. And she was like, I'm right on it. I agree. Let's do it. And we feed off of each other's energy. Me and Latrice, we work well together. And she said, let's just tell me what we need to do. Let's put it together. We worked on a flyer and we, we blasted it out. We had Krista help us to recruit some young adults and we went from there. I can't decide who to go to next because, folks, you can't see this because this is an audio podcast, but I can. Latrice and Krista are jumping up and down in their, in their seats there. So whichever one of you wants to chime in, when Tiffany came to you with this idea, what, what was your reaction? So I knew that she had been wanting to do something because we had been having several conversations about it. She was like, I feel like I, I want to do something with the young people. I want to get them in the room. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. And so when she 
called me and she's, hey, so we're going to do these masks. And I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. I like that. It makes sense because everybody needs a mask. Everybody needs a mask right now. You can't go anywhere without it. And so the idea of putting those two things together, using the mask to run a campaign, just that I love. But then when we actually had the meeting with the young people and with all of the stakeholders and community partners and all of the suggestions that were coming out, I couldn't even write fast enough to get it all out. Uh, everything that the, that they were saying, their explanation for it, they were really going into detail about what it was that they wanted to communicate to their peers. And I just thought it was a beautiful thing. And when we did our follow-up meeting and we went through all of the different ones, we spent about an hour just talking about how awesome all of the different slogans were. And initially we were going to try to narrow it down to about two or three, but we just, the list just kept growing and growing. And Tiffany said, we're just going to do them all. And I said, okay, that, that sounds like a plan. We can do that. I'm okay with that as well. So Tiffany, like she said, we work very well together. I believe that our interests are very much aligned. Our vision for the state of mental health in BIPOC communities and specifically here in Broward and in South Florida are very much in alignment with each other. And it's been a great experience for me working with South Florida Wellness Network, getting to know Krista and working with Krista, not only as a peer, but now also as a leader in her organization and watching her develop into this leadership role. And she's like taking it on head first and being able to incorporate her into a lot of the upper level stuff that we're doing. It's been a joy. I've really been enjoying it a lot. So Krista, let me ask you, I spent some time on your Facebook page and watching the Facebook live. I mean, it's clear you've got this energy and joy and sense of positivity, but it's also clear that you get this feeling that you don't know these people on Facebook Live, but you get this feeling that they've probably been through a lot. They wouldn't be involved in the network if they hadn't. Probably struggles tenfold to what I've ever been through. Yeah, here they are. There's this joy, there's this positivity, but there's this realness about, I was watching the one where you're talking about self-care and people are holding up signs, like whether it's, whether it's budget and finances or whether it's losing weight. I was raising my hand to all of them. <laughs> So here's my question. When you presented this idea to your peers, what was the reaction? Because it seems to me it's a no BS group. I think with mental health and especially with our agency, we're here to tell the truth about what that looks like and to share our experiences with no hesitation. I think that's been the biggest gift is sharing my struggles. And I loved doing the Facebook Lives and it came about because... It was just, uh, I think it was the holidays that we were doing it around, and we wanted to have an opportunity to, to really get it out there and to make sure that people felt supported and they had somewhere to look. So I really liked that a lot. And I was part of the Unmask Your Feelings campaign, and I loved it. What did you love most about it? 
I liked the idea. I came in a little bit later. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to be in the direct focus groups, but I really love an opportunity to tell my story and to be the face of something bigger. I, I think that for me, I've spent all this time putting myself out there with my story that when I'm able to be a part of something like that, it really excites me. And I think what was most rewarding was seeing the reactions of the young people that I worked with. I follow some of them on Instagram and they were posting these pictures of themselves on their Instagram with messages of hope about mental health. That is awesome. So if I'm uh, new and I come to the center, to the Wellness Recovery Center, and you're, you're working on this campaign and you want to introduce me to it, how would you describe it? How would you say, hey, Scott, this is what this is all about? And here's why I think you should participate. I think I would describe it with our agency is here to share our experiences and to be honest and real. And you want to be a part of this campaign that's going to go everywhere and have your face be out there. That's what the youth really liked about it. And they were so excited for sure. And how did you make it feel safe for people to really be combination of vulnerable and public? I think our agency has worked really hard on making this a safe place. We've hosted so many events and support groups and workshops that all of the youth that came in have been there before. Some of the youth, I was running online support groups during the pandemic, which was super rewarding. I loved it. And some of the youth that were there, I met them through that. So when they, even though it was their first time being there, we had bonded through these support groups. I think some of the online stuff we did grew our agency in a way that if it hadn't happened, we wouldn't have grown. Really? Give me an example. With these support groups, I, I think behind the screen, people are able to be more honest at times. I think we're able to open up. And I also feel because it was online, we had the ability to get to people that didn't have the ability to get into our agency or the transportation. And we were able to build like a small community in that. And those people now are asking to come when they can come back to the office and what other events they can get back into. Tiffany, how about for you, for somebody who oversees a lot of different efforts going on, are you seeing something similar? Yes, we are seeing where a lot of people who didn't have transportation access to different locations are able to now participate in groups, even with staff. It's been a big, it's been a struggle for us in the past to have staff participate in meetings because they have to leave their office to come on site. But now because they can click on a Zoom link or they can click on a, you know, whatever link it is virtually, it's been a lot easier to engage them and have them to participate in our meetings. So that has been something that has been a benefit for us during this pandemic as well. And do you do the unmask your feelings campaign with staff and and leadership? Yes, we did. So this was the first time that we've done it and we plan on to continue this, but we did mix young adults and staff. Some staff also came out to the photo shoot with young adults. And so usually we wouldn't do that, but we did this time and it worked out well. I think that the adults, it was so interesting. The adults were applauding what we call gassing up, really making the youth feel good about their responses, working off of each other's ideas. So it was beautiful for young people to have that support from adults, some of them who they didn't even know. 
a JPO is someone who you would think would be authoritarian. They're going to be forceful in their job. But during this support group or this workshop, they were very supportive of the young adults ideas. So having young adults see people from different systems who maybe in their role has to be a little bit more serious to help them congratulate them, support their ideas was really cool. Can I tease that a little bit more with you, Tiffany? Because I th- I think that with the pandemic, it's caused all of us to stop. I'm so fascinated by that because I think for a lot of mental health or a lot of organizations in general, before the pandemic, we have a system set up that operates a certain way. And in folks in professional capacity, I think, can forget that these are human beings we're dealing with and that this is the way we do it. This fits, this peg fits into this whole blah, 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 blah. We have a pandemic, all bets are off. It's a whole different thing. So I, I am thrilled to hear that you involved adults, if you will, the professionals in with the young adults. Krista, was that a challenge for you and, and for your peers to have some of these professionals in the support group meetings? Honestly, when it started, I thought maybe it would be. I thought maybe some of the young people wouldn't have the ability to open up. What I found really interesting, something that was exciting was Tiffany touched on one of the probation officers came to do the shoot. And just how just how different and open and human that she was, it really shed a lot of light on we're, we're people just like you that have struggles. And I think for the young people, it was enlightening for them. Latrice, you have a pretty extensive history as a life coach and a person who has helped people find their path. What's going on here? I'm actually a therapist by trade. Uh, I've been a therapist for almost 10 years now, and I decided to go ahead and get my life coaching certification about three years ago, just to add that additional layer of expertise, but also to widen the pool of individuals that I can actually work with. If I had to pinpoint what was really going on in terms of the emotional experiences of our communities across the country and really across the world in a lot of ways, I would say two things. So I have this theory. I think that when we have time to prepare for something, we are not as emotionally affected by it because it's like when you see, when you get in a car accident, If you see the car coming, then you tense up, you prepare yourself for that impact. It doesn't minimize the impact in the sense of you're still getting hit by a car, right? But you have an opportunity to prepare your body for that impact. And so it minimizes the damage after the fact, not necessarily the impact, but the damage after the fact. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to mental and emotional experiences. When you have an opportunity to prepare for those things, then you have a chance to prep yourself. It minimizes the damage that's done. It shortens that turnaround time a lot of times for a lot of us. It helps us to wrap our minds around it. With this pandemic, We didn't have a lot of time to prepare for it. It moved very quickly. And unfortunately, Americans, most Americans, we do not pay attention to what's going on in the rest of the world. And so even though there were signs that something was coming, 
most of us were unaware because we just don't really pay that much attention. And so I think a lot of us felt like we were completely caught off guard. I even felt caught off guard because I it was like one day, literally, we came into the office that Monday and it was business as usual. And then Tuesday, they were like, oh yeah, by the way, pack up your things, you're going home. And we've been home since March 16th. And now it's really like an indefinite thing. We don't know how long it's going to be. So I think a lot of us just felt off, caught off guard. We were not prepared for it. We didn't have time to wrap our minds around how much our lives were going to change. And I think a lot of us are struggling with that because the second thing is that we already were at a deficit when it came to the skills that we needed to process. I think Americans in general are not equipped to manage emotional, negative emotional experiences. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. There's this machismo that exists in America where it's, we are American. We do not have difficulties. And if we do have difficulties, we're going to put on a brave face and we're going to battle through it And because we are Americans. And it's I love that. There's a place for that to a certain extent, but we're human first. And I think that's the piece that gets missed a lot of times is that you are a human before you are an American. And the fact that you are human is what makes you American. And so I think the lack of skills that already existed across our country in all of our communities. Some communities, I believe, have greater deficits than others because of traditionally like historical experiences that have been inflicted on those communities, lack of services, adequate services being provided to those communities. So I do think that some communities have been a little more affected emotionally than others but we're all affected. We all lack those skills. And so I think the combination of those two things, being caught off guard, not having adequate time to prepare, and then already working from a deficit when it comes to mental and emotional processing, when it comes to emotional expression, healthy emotional expression, being able to have these kinds of very vulnerable kinds of conversations about, hey, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I need. This is what's important to me. The combination of those things, it was like a one-two punch. Thankfully, our organization, Broward Behavioral Health Coalition, we're a bunch of therapists over here. And so uh, we're just a bunch of therapists who've now moved into administration, but it helps because there was a lot of checking in. Hey, how is everybody doing? How is everybody feeling? What's going on? Do you need to take a few hours off today? Do you need to go ahead? I'll I'll pick this up. You just relax a little bit today, get yourself together and things. So that was very helpful as well. But unfortunately, most of us don't have that as an option. Before I ask this next question, Tiffany, I want you to give me some context for the Unmask Your Feelings campaign. Specifically, how does it work? So you first start with a focus group where you would bring together youth, family members, staff. If you decide that you want to keep it separate, you can. 
we decided to combine it. So you start with a focus group and we had a facilitator who's our social marketing coordinator and she asked questions. She explained what the campaign was about. And then she asked questions. What are some messages of hope that you would want to see on a mask? What would motivate you? So we had people answer those. The next phase was an actual photo shoot. And during COVID, we had to remember, hey, we have to be careful. So what we did was we had photographers. We had a room set up, so a real photo shoot. And then we assigned people to come like a doctor would in this time. You have a time slot, you come, and then about 15 to 30 minutes within, we would sanitize whatever we needed to. And then the next person would come for their appointment. So we had the workshop, which was virtual. And then we had an in-person photo shoot where we practiced social distancing and sanitation. And so I think the value of moving from that workshop to actually saying, oh my gosh, they have masks with these messages posted. And now I'm going to be in a real photo shoot. And then the, the third phase is now we're putting those pictures, those photographs across the community in Broward County so that people will be able to see them on busways, at gas stations, different corner stores, billboards, wherever they're driving. People who weren't actively involved in the planning, they can see the messages. We're also spreading them across social media. So those are the the three practical steps of the campaign. And is it an ongoing campaign? Is it one and done or what? It's probably going to be ongoing. Typically, we would do one and then that would be it. But because COVID is not going anywhere anytime soon, this message is something that we need to constantly hear. I was talking to Krista about her photograph and I said, there was something different about your photograph. And I was working with the photographer and we couldn't put our hand on it until we said, okay, it's because she's smiling underneath her mask. And so promoting that message that you can show your feelings even underneath a mask and that can make a difference. I can read it in her eyes. I could see it. And there was a glow about her face and she goes, oh my gosh, I was so nervous. I'm like, but because she smiled and she showed emotion behind something that was restricting most people, it showed in her photograph. It made me happy. And so I think that this is something that we're going to constantly have to be telling people and hearing. So before George Floyd... I would have done a podcast episode like this and we would have just talked about this thing. We would have talked about a campaign. And that's not bad, but it's ignoring for me the elephant in the room. And so I just need to ask, and Krista, maybe I'll start with you because you're right there front and center with the with your peers. Can you talk about let me the, what the pandemic has done for me? It is exposed in a very interesting way just the way our mental health system works. And I've been a part of the mental health system for almost 40 years. And we've been in this comfort zone in general, even though I'm an advocate and and rail against injustice, it's still been this like comfort zone. The George Floyd murder was horrific in countless ways, but it also was a wake up. And the message many of my black colleagues said to me is, don't make this one and done son. Don't just make a statement or write something and then pat yourself on the back. So pretty much every episode, even when I bumble through it, I got to ask and I'm trying to think. And Krista, I want to start with you. With racial injustice in this country really being highlighted now, what I'm struck with, this campaign is about hope, which I think is incredible. And I'd like you guys to talk about how in the midst of all of this very heated, in some ways, conversation about racial injustice, 
how these young people are able to find these messages of hope. And that's a resilience question. I don't know, coach, it may be a Latrice question, but I want to start with Krista. I've been working with young people 14 to 29 for the last four years. And I just transferred, like Latrice said, into a leadership position. In the midst of the George Floyd murder, I think it really riled up my young people to want to make a change. Some of the young people I work with come from a lot of different backgrounds, some from affluent families and some from different types of families. And it got everybody thinking and everybody wanting to unite. And some of the young people I work with that weren't as effective, affected, they now know what the world can be and they know that they want to make a change. Oh, it's really strong. Latrice, how about you? I think the the thing that that experience really drove home, which I think is actually a really good fit for the Unmask Your Feelings campaign, is that emotion is universal, right? So it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what part of the world you come from, what your socioeconomic status is, what your education background is, what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter. Emotion is universal. You can communicate just about anything through emotion and you can connect with people through emotion. And I think that the murder of George Floyd and the the video in and of itself sparked an emotional response from the world because we could see that juxtaposition of emotion in the video. So we saw desperation, we saw fear, we saw terror in the face of George Floyd. And then we saw this callousness and this disregard for human life in the face of the officer that killed him. And I think that the juxtaposition of that communicated very clearly to the world that Racism, while we have made significant progress, I'm on a podcast with a a white man in a position of leadership. That's progress, right? So yes, we have made a significant amount of progress, but let us not be fooled. We are very far from where we need to be. It was so interesting. You said that while you've always been a part of or considered yourself to be an advocate for equality and justice and things of that nature. And yet you were still significantly impacted by this and almost gobstopped by the fact that like something this pervasive could happen. And that's one of the things that I always try to drive home whenever I'm doing interviews or anything on this topic, because a lot of people have been wanting to have these kinds of conversations, which is a great thing. But this is not a new thing. It's just that There's an entire subset of our population that was completely unaware of the pervasiveness of racism because you don't have to experience it. It's not your life. It's not a daily occurrence for you. But for me and my family, we knew that this was a thing. Like We knew that this was happening. It's just that this one got caught on film and this one was broadcast to the world. But this is no different than any of the other murders that we've seen. Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown. This happens on a regular basis, unfortunately. I am grateful 
that there's been this awakening, this mass kind of awakening, because I think America, while I wholeheartedly believe that we are the greatest country in the world, I also believe that we have some really deep-rooted fractures that need to be repaired, that we are just staunchly committed to ignoring. And until we face those things and call it out and say, this happened, this is a thing, this happened, and the people who are the descendants of those to whom this happened are still being affected by it every day. And the descendants of people who inflicted this pain on those people are still being impacted by it to this day. We have to call it a thing. We have to acknowledge it in order to be able to address it. And I think that's coupled with the pandemic. A lot of people are calling it like a dual pandemic, right? Everybody's, we we have this multiple pandemic going on. And I'm like, I can get with that. I can get with that to a certain extent. It's just that one of these pandemic is new. The other is written into the fabric of our country. You know, I consider myself a progressive white male and progressive white males are probably the most dangerous people out there because we could slide. I've been doing race work for 20, 30 years, uh, starting with the National Coalition Building Institute was phenomenal. And in that case, bringing whites and blacks together in Durham, North Carolina and doing, I can give you a resume of stuff. But as a white male, I still got that comfort piece. You're right. It's not new. It's not new. But the the fact that it's not new, and I guess now I'm speaking to my white, progressive white male colleagues, is, okay, cowboy, how are you showing up? And And it's so easy when you're from a position of privilege. And I'm not talking about just socioeconomic. I'm talking about the color of your skin. When you're from a position of privilege, you can take a break at five o'clock. <laughs> If I may add, that work that you're doing, that needs to happen. That is extremely important work. However, it's not sufficient. Exactly. It's not sufficient. More needs to be done. And we need you to do that from a place of genuine genuine concern and genuine belief in the overall theme of justice for everyone and what that means in reality. But what do you do with the privilege that comes with that whiteness? How do you impact the world, the community, specifically the white community with the privilege that you have? That's what really matters. Well said, Latrice. Well said. Krista, what about you? I think for me, I also come from a place of comfort being a white female. I'm from Wilmington, Delaware, and I'm from a predominantly white neighborhood. And I think before I came in to work in this field, I knew about systematic racism, but I didn't know the extent and what that really looked like. And I've been awakened in in this work, and I'm really grateful for that. And the conversation is, yeah, this has been going on for a long time. You just didn't know about it. And I've used that opportunity to learn, to learn from some of the young people that I'm serving. And it makes me think, so my mom is pretty progressive and led me well. And she works at a rehabilitation farm where they, it's like a hydroponic farm, but 
not in that way that you're thinking. And at this farm that she runs, she only hires ex-felons only. And she's always been the one to speak on racism. And she's always owned companies. She owned a, she's a boss. She owned a catering company at one point. Now she's running this farm and she's always been the one to speak. And I'm glad I came from that. And near her house, there were a bunch of riots in Delaware. And she went out and was standing with her, her staff and her friends of color. And that's something I look up to. And I learned from her and I learned from my young people. Talk a little bit about what else you do, because it's not just the Unmask campaign. Well, maybe tell us a little bit about the center that you work for. Okay, so I do a lot. Did you hear that, Tiffany? Krista does a lot. I heard that. (laughs) I'm not sure where to start. Let me try. I was previously a wellness coach or a life coach using the tip model in the community, which is just an evidence-based model to help young people. I also currently run a program called Youth Move, which is motivating others through voices of experience. And in that group, we do these campaigns. We have leadership groups where these leaders create events that they want to do in the community. I've got some things planned, maybe some kayaking in the future and doing some things that are outdoors. I'm thinking about making another video for young people that are involved in Youth Move currently because they want to be heard and they're ready to be heard in in the wake of COVID. They're ready. So we're in this time of COVID. You guys are obviously incredibly talented, incredibly creative, and people are going to listen to this and they're going to say, oh, I want to do something like that in our community. So. First of all, maybe talk about the different kinds of community resources that BBHC is part of as, a, as an overall entity that are helping young people. And if people want to learn from your experiences, how can they do that? So I can speak to uh, some of the services that we have available. So I am the System of Care Clinical Integration Coordinator for the One Community Partnership 3 program, which we lovingly call OCP3. And OCP3 is a four-year grant program that is uh, sponsored or funded rather through SAMHSA in collaboration with Broward County. And the idea of OCP3 or the overarching goal of OCP3 is really to bridge the gap between the school, the Broward County public school system, and the ChildNet child welfare system and connect those entities to our community service providers, because traditionally schools and child welfare in any community in America, they like to operate in a silo. And so we're really trying to break down some of those walls because research shows that a unified system of care is the most beneficial for the youth and young people in terms of long-term success. We're being intentional about eating away at the division that exists between those entities and the community providers. And so through OCP3, it basically, OCP3 kind of acts as a referral program where we receive referrals for youth who are between the ages of 12 and 21, who currently reside in Broward County, who are diagnosed with some type of mental health diagnosis or are at risk of having mental health diagnosis. 
So we utilize, as Krista said, the TIP model, which is the transition to independence process, which is an evidence-based practice that allows for our youth to work with a life coach to figure out what they want for their lives. I think a lot of times what happens is that when we have youth who are in the system, there's a lot of telling them what's going to happen. Like they don't have a lot of control over the direction that their lives go in. And so we're aiming to give them back some of that control and to really allow them to amplify their own voices. So we do that with TIP, and then we also do that with the wraparound approach, which is similar to the TIP model, but has some key differences there as well. So depending on the age of the youth, we're going to send them to one of those two programs. And then they have access to additional services like housing services and supports, uh, peer support with uh, South Florida Wellness Network. And that's where Krista comes in with the Youth Move program. They also house at South Florida Wellness Network, the peer support, family peer support, and the Federation of Families program. And then we also have IPS support, which is uh, supportive employment and education. We provide MRT training, which is moral recognition therapy, Mm -hmm. which is a group program uh, for youth who have involvement with the juvenile justice system. It's really like an accountability program. Again, everything that we utilize is evidence-based. And so these are modalities that have been proven to be successful with this particular community of people. And we make sure that we get them connected to providers. We provide training. We provide additional resources. And the idea here is not only to make sure that the community is aware of what is available to them, but to make sure that the providers, the individuals who are providing the services, are doing so from a place of competency, which unfortunately is something that tends to to lack when it comes to minority communities or BIPOC communities. It's, it's, that's the training ground for a lot of folks. So we make sure that we provide adequate training and that we really facilitate a community of growth and learning for the providers as well as for the community. So I go to Krista and the network to be amongst peers. I go to Latrice if I need a little bit more kind of support who has her finger on the pulse of all that. And Tiffany, you just kind of are oversee everything, right? Yes. So I'm the project director. I oversee all of those programs. And of course, we have wonderful staff like Latrice and Krista and other people who specialize in different areas. So it's just making sure that they're staying on top of things and that we're thinking creatively and that we're pushing systems. You talked about, Scott, being in this field for 20 plus years and feeling comfortable. So my job is to make sure that we're pushing people outside of that comfort. If you've been doing something this way and you can't really give me a good reason why and it's not working, then I'm pushing you to think beyond that creatively. The job, the, the task is to engage people into services and make it something that they enjoy. That's not always easy to do and it's not always something that we want to do is change what we're used to. But we're here in a system of care grant to push people beyond what they're comfortable with in order to help who they need to help. And so that's where we that's where we all work together as a team and 
I'm just I'll let Teresa tell y'all pop in and I'm like, maybe they can do something differently. Maybe they can do something this way. They may not have liked it, but they needed that little push to think differently. And so we've had to do that with COVID. We've had to do it with a lot of the, you know, what we call warm handoffs, pushing people to more be more engaged, what we call now a hot handoff. So just moving people in a direction of we can't be comfortable where we are at. We always have to be looking for the next level. And that's where I come in. I hear from people all across the country every week. And a lot of people in your positions are massively depressed right now. It's just flat out. We talk about collective voice at the Children's Mental Health Network. And it's, it's, you know, when I'm down, I need you to pick me up a little bit. And when you go through a rough patch, I'll pick you up. And it is such a joy to be in your presence this morning, to honor and acknowledge your clear ability to, and that doesn't mean that you guys don't have your down moments. I'm sure you do. But this kind of spirit of, you know what, we can figure this out. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we can figure this out. And that message going out across America is so important right now. It is so important right now because there's so many good people who might get in that lull of just feeling, man, what is this? Is this even worth doing? And then to hear what you guys are doing, I think is it's a gift that you provide to our listeners. And I'm greatly appreciative of that. But I want to wrap up this conversation. This has been a delight with our Zoom question. So here's the Zoom question for each of you. And you just have fun with it. If you could have a Zoom call, since we are in the age of Zoom, right? If you could have a Zoom call with anyone, anyone living, dead, fictional, if you could have a Zoom call with anyone right now, who would it be and why? I have one. All right. Mine's funny, but I'm really proud of myself for this one. I am a diehard, diehard Harry Potter fan. And I would have a Zoom call with Albus Dumbledore, okay? Because I feel like with him, he has all the solutions. And I feel he gives a little bit of magic to everyone. And he's so wise. And I feel like if there's somebody that would support me and have the ideas for change during COVID, it would be him. But kind of an interesting answer, but you got to go with where you went with it. That's right. I think that's an awesome answer. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, I guess I'll go next. And I don't know. I feel like this is my... Krista's answer was so like creative and I feel like mine is a little cliche, but it's my answer. So I'm going to go with it. I think if I could have a Zoom call with anyone, I would want to talk to Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) And so the reason why is because she's a huge inspiration to me for so many reasons, just as a Black woman in general, like she, she's a amazing role model for all Black women. But outside of that, I love how in touch she is with her imperfections. And I love that message that she has of this perpetual pursuit of joy and happiness and peace and clarity and loving your imperfections and figuring out the best way to heal your imperfections while loving your imperfections. Like that is very much in alignment with my own personal journey, but also with my work in this role and outside of this role. 
And so I just feel like she is a wealth of knowledge and her energy is just very pure. And you can feel it every time you see her, you can feel it. And so I think I I would like to have a conversation with her just to hear what she has to say, just to see what comes out of her mouth and to just have a really in-depth and raw and vulnerable conversation with her about life and about the reality of what it means to live a fulfilling life. That is really beautiful. She's my ultimate person that I aspire to interview. And as a fellow podcaster, she's probably on your list too. <laughs> oh, yes. she's And she's high up on that list, let yeah, me tell you. Beautiful. Like Oprah is the pinnacle. Absolutely. Tiffany, how about you? I'm going to God. 2020 has been a, a rough year and I need to find out what we can do to turn things around. We've had enough. What have we done? <laughs> Maybe I can talk and try to help us out a little bit. But yeah, I think this time I'm going up to God and I would want to know what is going on? How much longer do we have? What can we do to turn things around? Because it's been a rough year, fires in California, just like things happening everywhere. And I want to understand a little bit more about that. I I love that because I ask this question to everybody who I interview. And people go up the ladder. And I thought Oprah was at the top of the ladder, but leave it to Tiffany Lawrence to go God. Got to go up. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah. Let's end it there. Once you get to God, well, I don't know if there's much higher you can go. So thank you, Tiffany Lawrence. Thank you, Krista Snyder. And thank you, Latrice Richards, for sharing your thoughts, your wisdom, your passion, your insight, your caring, and your, ah, man, your just positive attitude as you continue to find ways to be creative about not only serving young adults with mental health challenges, but finding ways to engage young adults in in ways that are meaningful, in ways that are impactful, and and in ways that offer individuals the opportunity to find their own voice. And that's what the Optimistic Advocate, frankly, is all about. So Unmask Your Feelings campaign, you can learn more about it in the show notes. You can learn more about the Broward Behavioral Health Coalition in the show notes. uh, There's a link to the campaign itself. So if you're thinking about doing something like this for your community, hey, the information's right there, and uh, we've got a link to Tiffany Lawrence's information if you want more details on what they're doing. Ah, great job, guys. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. We love subscribers. are our favorite people. Rate the podcast. Let us know what you think, and uh, give us a review. And we're always looking for examples of optimistic advocates. And we know you're out there. There's a lot of you out there. Let us know if you have an idea of a topic or a person that we uh, should interview. There's a link in the show notes where you can get in touch with us and give us your ideas. All right, that's it for another great episode of The Optimistic Advocate. See ya. See ya.